This is episode number six, a new feature, a training review where I sit down with a runner, talk about their history and training, and we brainstorm actionable ways to keep improving. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. My name is Jason Fitzgerald, head coach of strengthrunning.com, and every week I'll be your personal coach, helping you discover how to reach your potential and become the runner that you know you want to be. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Now it's time to get after it. Welcome back, guys. Now, as you've seen, or maybe heard is the right word, the last five podcast episodes have been mostly interviews with well-known runners, coaches, and other influencers. Episode three had Olympian Shalane Flanagan. Episode four was a discussion of coaching with my friend Mario Fraioli. And our last episode was with Steve Cam of Nerd Fitness on systems, habits, and how to make exercise easier. Today, we're doing something new. I want to give you a behind-the-scenes look at how I help runners get faster. To do that, I invited a team strength running member on the show to talk about their training in a recent goal race. You'll hear from George, a 60-year-old marathoner from Northern Ireland, and we discuss his background as an athlete, the training he did leading up to his goal marathon, and how the race unfolded. More importantly, we talk about what he can improve on so that his next marathon will be his best. This is a front row seat to the high level and also very tactical training upgrades that a coach can help you with. So I hope you enjoy my coaching call with George. All right, George, thanks so much for being my guinea pig for this new podcast feature we're debuting today. Uh, what we're going to do today is look at your running history, your training leading up to your, your marathon goal race and then your strategy at that race. And my hope here is that we can pinpoint specific areas for improvement, whether that's um, workouts, mileage, long runs, pacing, recovery, all that good stuff, so that you have a plan for improvement for your next race. So, George, first of all, thanks so much for being here and doing this for me. Delighted to be able to, to uh, participate. So let's start... I guess, with some background on you as a runner. Um, how, how long have you been running since uh, since you first started? Well, um, I was 60 years old uh, this year in March. Uh, I, I mean, I ran at school a bit. My, my big sport when I was a teenager was judo. So I used to run to be fit for, for ju judo. I was a serious competitor in, in that. Um, then... Left school, started working, didn't do much. And then in my late 20s, I went back to college and went back to sport and took up, got back to the judo again and ran again to, to be fit for judo. Then I got injured in the in a judo thing. Long story, won't go into it, um, which which sort of ended my judo career. So then in, when I was 28, I spent about a year running just for the sake of running, I wasn't training for judo anymore. And I ran the Dublin Marathon in 1984 when I was 28. Uh, then I graduated from that course I was doing, got a very busy academic job, uh, didn't really get after that marathon, didn't really get back to running. Um, I, had the, I had a few attempts, but never really you know, did more than go out 
twice and then I would sort of not not run again for six months. So in effect, for the 30 years after that, I was sedentary and getting fat and happy behind a desk. Uh, and then about three years ago, a doctor said, high blood pressure, mm, if it's still high, we'll have to do something, come back in six weeks. So in the meantime, I started tweaking my diet, going out for long walks and so on. And after about a year of going out for long walks uh, to the point I had a thing on my phone that um, counted how many steps I took and I had a target of, you know, 10,000 steps a day. And I was doing I was walking for two hours every day um, uh, trying to match the target steps. And after a while, I thought, hmm, if I bought a pair of running shoes, I could be out for half the time and get the same amount of exercise. So one uh, Sunday, Sunday when nobody was at home other than me, I uh, went out and tried to run around the l local park. And um, it's about a mile, a lap around the park. And um, I had to stop six times to hold onto a tree and gasp for breath. Um, but uh, I went out the next day and I only stopped three times and I went out the next day and I only stopped once. And and by the end of the week, I, well, there was a hill between the park and home. So I was only stopping before I came up the hill. And then by the end of the week, I was doing a lap of the park and, and up the hill again. Um, and that was about 18 months ago. Um, so then I gradually got a bit more uh, serious about that. Well, I, no, I spent several weeks just gradually increasing the mileage and reading anything I could find on the internet uh, about running and was amazed at how much the the science had moved on in the 30 years when I wasn't doing it. Um, and all the things you could do with uh, running watches and phones that told you what pace you were going at and heart rate monitors and so on. And um uh, sort of geeked out on all that sort of stuff and read, I read, first of all, read, um, Phil Maffetone and he told me to slow down. Um, and, um, so I, I, over the, that sort of first few months, I, I slowed my running, running down and it gradually increased the miles. I mean, it was about a month before I was running three miles and then four miles, five miles, uh, and then somewhere a few months after starting running, I found uh, the strength running. Oh, no, I didn't. I found um, um, the Run Your BQ website um, the, uh, and um, saw the, the training plans on there. And then you, you were advising Matt Fraser on the Run Your BQ site about uh, training plans. And I um, and then from there, I discovered your your website um, and started thinking maybe I would uh, run the local half marathon. That was about six months after I started, um, about 12 months bef before this, if you see what I mean. Yeah, wow. You've you've had quite the journey. Uh, it's yes. great that you had some running experience earlier in your life that you could draw from. Uh, and, you know, you started running as uh, either, either 58 or, or 59 years old more consistently. Uh, yeah. and I am 100% with you. I would so much rather run 10 miles than walk five. It's much more efficient. <laughs> yes. Now, um, so you've been training pretty consistently for about 18 months 
And, yeah. you know, obviously you've, you've really built up the amount of running that you've done over that time. You know, before, when you, when you first started, you were running a mile and you had to stop six times. Yeah. Now over the last, let's say six to nine months or so, what would you say was maybe your normal mileage during a typical training week? Well, I've, I've run two marathons uh, this year. So uh, in April, I started training for the local uh, marathon in Derry where I live. Um, and for that one, I was I, I started off at about 35 to 40 uh, miles a week uh, and started into a training program that built up from there. Um, um, that that marathon was on the 5th of June. And then I had a three-week break, and um, I, I debated whether to go for a higher mileage plan. I, I, in that three, I was a bit disappointed with my time at the Derry Marathon. Uh, it was a very hot day, and and um, I I, uh, I thought I could go faster. So so immediately afterwards, I decided I would I would do the Dublin Marathon, which was at the end of October. Now, so George, that left what me. What was your time in that first marathon? Uh, three hours, 54, something or other. Okay. Uh, I think it was three hours, 54, 50. And I, I had hoped I would break three hours, 50. So I was only a little disappointed. Yeah. Well, you were very close. And this was, was this your first marathon that you've ever run? No, like I say, I, I ran one when I was 28. Oh, so it was the first right. okay. marathon for 30 years or 32, 32 years. So it had, it had been quite a while. Um, yeah. I would say it's yeah. not fair comparing your marathon this year to your marathon 30 years ago. Um, yeah. Have you run any other races o- over the last 18 months besides, you know, the two marathons? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I As I built up, the, like I say, the, fir- the first serious race I did was the local half marathon, which was in uh, September last year. And I ran in the build up to that. I ran a, a 10K and then after that race, well, I think it was at that race, I met some people who were part of a local uh, park run group that meets every Saturday morning. And I mean, it's not so much a, they meet every Saturday morning and they run a, a 5K in, in the local park. And uh, they have a, a very simple system for for with, with stopwatches for timing it. And um I, I went to lots of their Saturday morning 5Ks. I suppose it's more of a timed run than a race, really. Um, but there could be 50 people on a Saturday morning at the park run group. Right. I've heard of the park run, and, and they're a little bit more popular, I think, in in Europe, in Australia. And you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're across the pond in the UK. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, in Derry in the north of Ireland. Yeah. Okay. And... Um, over the last 18 months, you've run a bunch of other races besides the two marathons. What were your other personal best times? So your best time in, say, the 10K and the half marathon? In the in the first half marathon I did uh, last year, I ran it in one hour, 51.30-ish. Then I ran another half marathon uh, in the spring of this year, in March, and I got it down to one hour, 44.43. Uh, and then I went back to the same uh, local half marathon about uh, eight weeks before my marathon and, and got the time down to one hour, 44, six. All right. That's great. That's that's that shows me a really nice progression of times you're you're taking off um, 
good amount of time on your half marathon PR and you're you're setting PRs in the half marathon within your marathon training which yeah. is really encouraging that you could take even more time off if you specifically trained for a half. So I think I think that's encouraging um and and it's also just really encouraging the fact that you're running 144 after essentially only about 18 months of consistent training. Uh I think that's um you know indicative of you know, some, a lot more potential and, you know, with more, uh, just time, you, you could probably run a lot faster. Now let's transition a little bit to your training to your most recent goal marathon. Um, now how long did you take for, for your, this particular training cycle from when you first started training for the marathon until the marathon itself? Well, I had an 18 week, um, training plan, uh, it was the same training plan that I'd used for the, the marathon in June, but I only had a three week, um, gap from, you know, after the, the first marathon till I started the 18 weeks. So although it was an 18 week plan, I went a bit soft on the first couple of weeks because I was still recovering from the first marathon. If you see what I mean. Right. No, that's, um, probably the least amount of time that I would recommend in between marathon plans. A couple weeks to, to recover to get your consistency back over the last week or two and then you can dive into you know the very beginning of a training uh, marathon plan which is mostly just um you know base building and uh easy running with with some easier workouts um so okay you did an 18 week training cycle for your marathon and um, what was your kind of starting mileage and then your, your peak mileage over the duration of the plan? The, the, uh, first two weeks I was on, uh, just over 40, 43 miles. The first two weeks, uh, the peak week I got to 88. The, the, it was quite a high mileage plan I was following and it, it, it actually called for, f for, uh, 54 miles the first week, but I, um, like I say, I watered down the, the, the first couple of weeks because I was still recovering. Sorry, by week, yeah. by week three or by, by week uh, four, I was up to the, uh, I went 43, 43, 48, 54, uh, and that got me in step with the plan. And then I pretty much stayed in step with the plan, uh, for the rest of the 18 weeks. All right. So first things first, you're running pretty high mileage. Uh, that is, uh, that's pretty much the mileage that I peaked at before all of my marathons. And, uh, very few people can run more than, you know, 85, 90 miles a week. It's very taxing, uh, on the body and it's just very fatiguing and the injury risk is a lot higher. So, um, you know, I can say right off the bat, you know, run more mileage is probably not going to be one of my suggestions for you, George. I think that you're already, um, you know, working at uh, a level that is going to help you achieve your goals. I think it's more, um, and, and we'll explore this a little bit further on, but I think it's more getting more out of what you're already doing uh, and perhaps being a little bit more strategic. Um, so let's let's dive into that a little bit. Um, now, okay, let's talk about your long runs. And obviously for the marathon, the long run is the most important workout of the week. It's the most specific run to the marathon itself. So what was your uh, beginning long run distance? And then what did you get up to uh, at the peak of the plan? Yeah, well, the first two weeks I ran uh, 16 miles, 
uh, and then I moved up to 18, 19. And by the end of the plan, I was on uh, the, la- the last two weeks before the taper. I did 23 and 24 uh, miles. And was any of any of those long runs include uh, any faster running, either goal <laughs> marathon pace or otherwise? Yeah, the the um, g- gradually as I went through most w- most weeks, I tried to include a few miles at target marathon pace. Um, certainly by week four or five, I was including uh, I was doing twenty miles with three miles at target marathon pace. Um, I think I got up to having six miles at target marathon pace uh, round about week. Uh, where was it? Week 13, 14. When I did the, the week with 88 miles and the 24 mile long run, I only did, I, I did the last mile at target marathon pace, but I, I um, my, my, well, I was going to say my legs, but my everything was very tired. That, that week I did 88 miles, uh, was, was very taxing and. <laughs> I'm not surprised uh, at all. As someone who has run 88 miles in a week, it is, uh, almost a, a full-time job in terms of dealing with, uh, you know, everything that goes into a high mileage week. And, uh, you know, in, in the last episode of the podcast, uh, or, or previous episode rather, you know, I talked to Shalane Flanagan and I asked her, what does it feel like to run 120 miles in a week? And she said, well, pretty much everything in my life during those high mileage weeks is geared toward enabling that high mileage. So she's doing a lot of laying around, a lot of napping and a lot of resting and, and sleeping nine plus hours a night. And I think, uh, you kind of have to have that mentality when you're putting in that workload. Um, and you know, it's just, uh, you know, kudos to you, George, for putting in that level of work. And that is, uh, clearly going to help your running no matter what. Um, so let's, let's talk about, um, consistency. And everyone knows that I'm always going on and on about consistency. It's the secret sauce to successful running. Here goes Jason yet again. But (laughs) how consistent were you with, um, you know, your mileage, your long runs, your workouts, basically the training over the course of your training plan? I pretty much, well, I I pretty much stuck to the plan. The, The one deviation from the plan I did was sometimes I swapped around the days within the week. But pretty much every week I did what I was supposed to do in that week. But, you know, if some life event intervened, I would make that day when I had to go and drive somewhere else the rest day. And I would stick the workout that should have been on that rest day in the next day, um, which would have been the, which, you know, according to the plan would have been the rest. So other than uh, swapping the odd day, I pretty much stuck to the plan uh, this time. So I was uh, running uh, five days a week in the first two weeks and by week uh, five I was running six days a week and I I pretty much kept that up I don't think there was a week when I didn't run six times so you are running and training very consistently you know I, I don't I don't think there's a single runner who gets through an entire training plan exactly as it's written um, so I, you know I think that's a, a, a perfectly good lesson right now is the fact that it's helpful to think about training plans as roadmaps to your destination. And just like you can take a different route to drive somewhere and still get to your final destination, you can take a different training route to get to your final destination and, and still arrive. So, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to switch around days. You're going to have to 
um, you know, be slightly inconsistent. Uh, but, you know, as a coach, I don't even think that's inconsistent. I think that is making your training work for your particular life circumstances. Uh, so I, I would say you are uh, supremely consistent over the course of those 18 weeks. What were your faster workouts like? You know, we talked about you, you, you included some goal marathon pace running within your long runs, but were you doing any other faster workouts during the week? Yeah, in the plan, there was one fast workout uh, each week, uh, and and it started off with um, a few miles of tempo and uh, built up to three three miles at tempo in the middle of a 12-mile run. And then uh, as I carried on, the, 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 there was more um, – there was a combination of some tempo miles and some uh, – laps of the track where i would you know run run a lap at at uh, 10k pace and then jog a lap and then run a lap a lap and jog a lap so generally with those i the, the, there's a, a publicly accessible um uh, uh track in, in our in a local park so i i usually you know ran there as the warm up run the last couple of miles uh of that would be the tempo running and then i would do my you know, uh, fat, fast and jogging, alternating stuff around, around the lo that local track, and then slow, you know, easy run home uh, afterwards was the the cool down. And did you have any injury problems throughout the the training? It doesn't seem like you did, since you were so consistent. Yeah, n no. The on the for, on the run up to the first marathon in the spring, I uh, in the the half marathon I did th there, I got a. Um, I got cramp in in a in the, the one of the tendons at the back of the knee, uh, you know, in the in the in the is that the quads or the whatever that muscle is that runs down to the back of the knee, uh, and then like that the hamstring, the hamstring, the hamstring. So I, I um, uh, after that the day after that um, half marathon, the, the knee and the hamstring were all puffy and i took a few days off but th th that was the, in the first cycle in the second training cycle i didn't have uh, any injuries um i don't think great i mean you're you're so far you're doing so many things right you're focusing on higher mileage uh you have very consistent training overall uh your long runs are really consistent you're not taking you know, a, a, a down week with your long run every other week, which I see a lot of runners do leading up into a marathon, which I think is a big mistake. Uh, you're including some goal pace running in your long run, um, and, and you're doing uh, a weekly fast workout. Now, uh, let me clarify something about those workouts you were doing every week. You said you started with some tempo running that built to roughly three miles or so, and then you were adding... Uh, you were doing some some intervals after the tempo. How long were those intervals? And you know, were they at 5k pace, 10k pace, uh, something faster? Can you give us some context about that? Well, well, the plan was telling me uh, uh, things like six by two minutes at 10k pace with a two minute jog in between, um, and. My my 10k pace is around about eight minutes, so I reckon that was two minutes was was a lap. Uh, so I was doing six six by a lap and then jog, jog a lap, uh, uh, you know, with the lap at 10k pace. And I think that was yeah, they were all they were all 10. Well, they were all according to the plan 10k pace. Often, what I did was um, 
as I would get through the, the if it was six or it, it built up by week week fifteen and sixteen it was eight eight uh, laps at ten k, but as I got through the six or the eight, I would tend to go faster in the later ones because I I don't often have a stopwatch and a and a track, um, so I would just be sort of curious how fast can I go? So probably the last of the six repetitions I was probably going flat out for a lap. Um, and I, I kept meaning to ask you, you know, should I be um, should I be proud of doing that, or should I be worried about doing that, uh, or shame faced about it? Is it spoiling the the training effect by not running, you know, by running faster than the plan said? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, and uh, uh, I guess I'll give you a general answer that I think everyone can can learn from. Um, you know, generally speaking, you want to stick to your training paces, uh, especially if you know, they're based on some, some real good data. You know, if you're using a really good um, pace calculator and, you know, you have, you're running repetitions at 10K pace and you're using your 10K PR to um, estimate what that pace should be, then that's, that's what your 10K pace is. And that's a good pace to stick with. Uh, now, of course, there's always wiggle room in, in any of these discussions about running and training. And I think you can, uh, always be flexible and shift things around a little bit. And the same is true for pacing. So if you're doing a workout where, you know, let's say you're running six 400s at 10K pace, which for you is two minutes per 400 meter repetition, you know, you could you could end with the last one faster than two minutes. Of course, if, if you know, your average pace was 158 because your last two were 156 and 154, um, you know, I, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Uh, it does depend on how you felt during that workout. So I would say if you were struggling and it turned into, you know, like a hundred percent race effort just to get the workout done with those times, then I would say, okay, way too fast. Um, but because you're, you know, I, I'm going to say you're a relatively new runner since, you know, you've only been running consistently recently over the last 18 months. I would say that your improvement rate is going to be a lot faster. Uh, it's going to be a lot quicker than someone who's already been running consistently for, let's say, 10 years or something like that. So um, there's there's simply more improvement to be had, and you likely got in PR 10K shape during marathon training just because of your much faster improvement rate as a newer runner. So uh, I, I think you could be a little bit more aggressive with, uh, you know, especially at the end of a workout, the last couple of repetitions being a little fast. So I think that's, uh, I, I think that's generally fine, uh, especially hearing you talk about it, hearing you, um, you know, say that you didn't have any injury problems. Uh, you know, if you had a whole litany of injury problems, then one of my pieces of advice might be, let's stick to your actual training paces rather than be a little bit aggressive. Um, but let, let's, uh, go over some of your other paces. So, you know, you're training for a marathon. The majority of your mileage is just going to be at your easy pace. And, you know, what, what is your easy pace? If you were going out for an easy run, whether that was five miles or 10 miles, how, how fast or slow would you be running for that? Well, in the weeks, in the last few weeks of the plan, I was finding my pace that felt easy was about nine minutes 30 uh was uh, I, I would feel like i can run all day at this pace you know i could just 
go to the next town <laughs> and get the bus back um, at, 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 at this pace at about nine minutes 30. When I was starting, that would have been 10 minutes 30. You know, the, the comfortable pace definitely moved up as I worked through the plan. And by the end of the plan, would you say that, you know, a, a comfortable running pace was a little bit faster than that 930 pace? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I I was. Um, I mean, on on the long runs, I was I was typically running around about nine minutes, and you know, in, in the later long runs, I was typically running at nine minutes and putting in three, four, five miles at eight minutes thirty, uh, which was my which I was thinking of as my goal uh, marathon pace. Okay, and that actually is pretty uh, congruent with what I would say your easy pace should be based on your based on your race performances. You know, I, I think looking at uh, particularly your two half marathons, I would put your easy pace somewhere around 8.30 to 9.30 per mile. So hearing you say, you know, at the beginning of the training plan, you were running about 9.30 pace, and that was really easy. And then by the end of the plan, you were closer to 9 with some of your, you know, uh, later miles in some of your runs being around 8.30. That makes perfect sense to me. And I, I think that's a really good way to look at your easy pace is, you know, it's a fairly wide range. So we have an entire minute to play with and you don't always have to be at the fast end. You know, that's why we have a range because it's all appropriate, whether you're at eight 30 or whether you're at nine 30 and starting the plan at that slower pace and then letting your fitness come to fruition on its own is a really smart way to go about things. It's letting your body adapt to the training that you're doing and absorb all the training that you're doing at its own pace. And you're just kind of running the same effort. And I'm sure, you know, you kind of gradually just got a little bit faster over the duration of the plan. So uh, I, th I think your pacing is, is really great. Uh, okay, let's talk about your race. We've talked about kind of your background. We've talked about your training for this upcoming marathon. Now we're talking about your race. Now this was a marathon. This was uh, fairly recent, and uh, it was your it was your uh, third overall, but second recent attempt at the marathon distance. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, uh, second this year. Right, second this year. Now your first one you ran about three fifty four. How did the second one fare? Uh, I finished in three forty six. Um, 3.46.14, I think, is is the official time. From the start, I was with the 3.40 pacing group. There was three pacers with, you know, the usual big helium balloons floating above them with 3.40 uh, on them. And, uh, I mean, it was a huge marathon. It was uh, 19,000 runners in the in the Dublin Marathon. Uh, so I was in the third wave of runners away who were supposed to be between three 3.35 to, to four hours you know, what was the target uh, pace of everybody in our wave. And the 3.40 pacers were, were in the middle there. Um, and I kept with the 3.40 pacers for certainly for the first six miles or so. And um, I, I, I actually uh, stopped at a water station to go to the toilet uh, at, at six miles. And um, they, they got about a minute or so in front of me so then i spent the next few miles gradually I, I sort of had to control myself to not chase after them at a, at a huge uh, sprint but i gradually got back onto the 340 pacer group um over the next three miles or so so mile 10 by mile 10 i got in front of them again 
Um, and they were sort of like a pack of hounds uh, chasing me along. Anytime I slowed up, I would look over my shoulder and there would be a hundred people around those pacers coming along behind me. So that uh, kept my pace up probably faster than I should have been uh, for the first 16 miles or so. I, I, I had planned a target, um, a, a goal pace of, of 8.15 to 8.30. And I was actually probably doing more like eight minute miles um, while staying ahead of those uh, three hour 40 pacers. And at mile eight, went through mile eight, 18, uh, still in front of them. And then in mile 19, I got cramp in my left. I always, if I get cramp, it always starts in my left calf and then gradually spreads down to the toes and up to the quads and the whole leg just becomes a great big solid lump of wood. Um, and, um, uh, so uh, the, the cr- cramp came on in mile 19 and, uh, the pay, as I, as I stopped to stretch for the cramp, the, that pacing group, the hundred guys running with the three pacers just swept past me and, um, tried forlornly to catch them up over the next i thought i thought i had stretched the leg enough to get rid of the cramp and i got going again in mile 20 i got back to about eight minute uh 20 pace um and then uh mile 21 the cramp came back again and 21 22 23 24 it was a matter of fighting the cramp i i Stop, stopped completely at a, at, a, at one of the aid stations and had a, a, a slow drink and lots of stretching. And I, think, I think that my, I think whichever mile that was, twenty four. I think that that was about ten and a half minutes. Um, and then mile twenty five, I seemed to get through the cramp again, and uh, I got back to eight and a half minute pace. And mile twenty six, I got down to eight minutes. 10 I think it was there was a long straight just before the finish and I just as I was coming along there I could hear the crowd shouting um and I thought is that for me you know because I, I had picked back up to eight minute pace and the people I was who were around me were you know had been going at sort of nine minute nine and a half minute pace so I was overtaking everybody and weaving in and out and then suddenly I, I um uh, uh, the cramp came back and uh, the sound from the crowd had gone, and then it went, oh, and I thought, oh, that was for me, because I'd stopped with the with, with the cramp, and I stretched and got got past it and uh, started running fast again, and the, the sound from the crowd sort of had gone, way, oh, and there was a huge <laughs> roar from the crowd, and that just propelled me up to what I thought was the finish. But was actually the 26 mile marker that had loads of extra decoration around it because it was the 26 mile marker. And I had the last 385 yards to go. And I was really slogging through that, fading all the way and cursing whichever king it was that introduced that extra, extra bit. It was the London Olympics in 1908 or 1904, was it? That, um, the extra 385 yards was added so that the royal family could wave at the runners. Well, that um, was, you, you must have been on cloud nine when you heard all that cheering and then brought back to reality when you yes. realized that you were not quite at the finish just yet. And I remember when I ran the New York City Marathon in 2008, I had the very similar feeling where, uh, I believe I, there was a, a turn in Central Park. You see this huge 
um, uh, awning over the road and you're like, oh, there it is. There's the finish. I'm so close. And then if you look a little closer, it is the 26 mile mark, not the finish of the race. And I had, you know, almost a quarter mile to go. So it, it's a, it's a kind of a frustrating feeling to have. Now, um, what, what was like the weather like uh, on the day? Um, cause I think it'll be instructive to know if it was really hot, if it was cold, if it was humid or what, what kind of weather conditions were you experiencing? It started pretty good running weather cloudy and, and, uh, not too cold, but, um, it, it did get warmer as the day went on. I mean, it, probably nothing like the sort of heat that you would have in the States, but for an autumn day in Ireland, it was, it was quite, quite a warm day and the sun sort of broke through the clouds a bit. I, I certainly would have been more comfortable in a gray, drizzly day, which are, which are more common around here. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with the marathon, uh, you know, as soon as the temperature starts to get close to 60, uh, degrees Fahrenheit or so, you're really looking at compromised performance. So, um, you know, I think that's uh, certainly something to look for. Look for in your next marathon is maybe, you know, if it if it was up to 60 or or beyond that, then uh, looking at a cooler marathon is another way just to give yourself every advantage when it comes to running the best possible uh, race that you can. Um, all right, so. Wow, George, you've you did so much, so many things right, and um, you, you've really been reaping the rewards. Uh, looking at your improvement rate, everything in your half marathon, from your marathon, you're chopping a lot of time off, and you're putting in the work. You're putting in high mileage. You're running race specific long runs. You're doing so many things right. Um, so, what I'd like to do is let's talk about some things that uh, I think can be improved. Uh, that I think you can uh, focus on in the future so that you can continue running uh, great marathons. I know that you have a faster marathon in you than 346 based on what uh, I've heard today and what we've talked about during uh, you know some of our team strength running coaching calls. So um, I guess the first thing is you've run two marathons this year, 2016, and uh, you know one uh, in the spring and one in the fall. And for yeah. a lot of runners, that is kind of the, you know, the, that's the de facto schedule. They run a spring marathon, they run a fall marathon. Maybe they'll do some some shorter 5Ks, 10Ks in the summer. Um, what I like to see runners do is treat a shorter race, like a 5K, a 10K, or even a half marathon, as just as important as a long run. Because I think skill, uh, speed is a skill. And when you work on that skill, it transfers very, very well to the longer distances. So I think one of my first suggestions might be take some time away from the marathon. If, if obviously you're the boss of your own running, if you love the marathon and want to keep running them uh, every six months or, or something along those lines, then that's that's fine. That's a, totally up to you. But you know, if if I'm giving you my kind of ideal scenario for improving your marathon in the long term, what I would say is let's let's rack up some personal bests in the 5K, in the 10K, and then in the half marathon. Um, you know, just looking at your 144.06 half marathon PR, you know, I, I already think that, you know, you're ready to run somewhere around 340, 343 in the marathon uh, based on just that 
just that one performance, uh, I think you'd be ready to do that. Now, you know, if you're, you know, continuing to improve in the 5K and the 10K uh, and in the half marathon, and then at the same time, you're running decent weekly mileage, you're running a decent weekly long run, you know, hopefully, you know, in the in the 12 to 16, maybe 18 mile range, if you're training for a half marathon, then, you know, you could take the next three years off from the marathon. And then as soon as you come back, you're going to you're going to improve by leaps and bounds, because it's not like you haven't been improving your ability as a runner over those years. So uh, I think that's something to think about, George. And um, uh, maybe what we could do is I don't want this to be a one-sided conversation. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, what, what do you think of that idea? Uh, so are you suggesting don't run any marathons in the next 12 months? You could uh, just take a season off. So, you know, right now we're recording this in the fall of 2016. You could take the spring of 2017 off from the marathon. Maybe you run a couple 5Ks, a couple 10Ks, one or two half marathons. Uh, you could continue that a little bit in late spring and early summer, and then sometime over the summer transition to marathon training. Um, you know, I, I think you could do that option, or you could take many years off of running marathons. Uh, I think it's up to you, and I don't think either one is necessarily a smarter move than than the other. Uh, I, I think you could do either. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I think it, it certainly would appeal to me to. Um work on the on the shorter faster things in the coming spring and then maybe plan to do the dublin marathon again next autumn or, or fall as you would call it yeah and, and i think that that's a good plan um I, I think it's just helpful to always remember that running is running and if you are improving as a runner and getting faster in other race distances there's no reason to think that you're not going to improve by a similar uh margin in the marathon, you know, if you just, just you could you could uh, a helpful thing to do is plug in your PRs into a pace calculator and see what it predicts you could run in the marathon. Compare that with your actual marathon personal best, and then think to yourself, okay, well, what would this pace calculator say that I could run in the marathon if I got faster in you know all these shorter races? Uh, it's obviously going to say that you're capable of now running a faster marathon. And, um, you know, that kind of an approach, I think, is working on the skill of speed uh, just because of the nature of the type of workouts that you have to do to build that type of fitness. So, um, yeah, I, I think that would be uh, helpful for you, uh, not just for your marathon, but for your kind of overall development as uh, as a runner. Now, the other the other thing um, to, to look for is, you know, we looked at your your big picture training you know what races to focus on over the long term and that and that's one way to look at it the other way to look at at improvement is the actual training that you did for this specific race um now like i said before you're already doing great mileage most people are not going to be able to touch the mileage that you're doing but i i don't think that's any reason to run significantly less than what you're already doing you know if you want to run up into the 80s uh, and, and if you're comfortable with that, then uh, I would see no reason to stop doing that. You know, when it comes to the marathon, more mileage is usually better. It usually is a great indicator of how you're going to perform on race day. Um, the one thing that I might recommend is running uh, shorter long runs. You know, you, you got up to, uh, was it 24 miles in training, George? 
Yeah. From week 12, I did 20, 22, 23, 23, 24, and then back to 17 on the taper week. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's – I mean, first of all, it's great, consistent, long, long runs. But on the other hand, the recovery needed after a run of that distance is profound, and I I think it does start to impact your – training around those long runs and i think it also impacts your body's ability to absorb the training that you're doing um you know the the flip side to gaining fitness is making sure that you're recovering properly and you know once you start getting up to 23 24 miles uh, i i think the recovery needs outweigh the the fitness benefits that you get from a run at that distance so what i might do is instead you know, you can max out at about 22 miles. You know, that's a distance that I think is good for more advanced runners. And because of your training ability, I would call you a more advanced runner. And, um, you know, maybe alternate your long runs with, let's say, 22 miles, mostly easy pace, uh, with runs that are more in the, you know, 17 to 20 mile range, but you can include some more goal pace running. So, you know, instead of, doing three, four miles at goal marathon pace, you can start doing five to 10 miles at goal marathon pace. And, uh, you know, I think that a a 20 mile run with, you know, five miles at goal marathon pace is, is better than a 23 mile run with no mileage at goal marathon pace. Again, because of the recovery needs, but also I think because of just the specificity of that particular workout. Um, you know, th- there's only so much fitness that you gain from those later miles in a long run. You know, I think it's really helpful to almost think about the benefits you get from a long run as a graph. And once I think you start getting up to about, for most runners, I think it's in the 17, 18, 19 mileage, mile range, the benefits that you get start to taper off. And, you know, there's a point of diminishing returns, which is the same reason why you see elite runners running 120, 130 miles a week for the marathon, but they're not running 160, 180, 200 miles a week. You know, nobody does that. Uh, Virtually nobody does that because there's a point of diminishing returns uh, and you're better off having more of a balance between the volume and the intensity of what you're doing. Um, so, you know, I would maybe alternate with a 20 to 22 mile long run and then a slightly shorter but faster long run uh, over your next training cycle. Right. So, so, so that would be for a, a marathon cycle or would that be for a cycle aimed at shorter distances? I think that would be for a marathon cycle. Um, I, I don't think you get too much benefit from a 22 mile run for the half marathon, you're right. much, uh, I think you're better off to do slightly shorter long runs for the half marathon. Maybe you peak at say 18 miles, uh, but including a little bit more quality in there. So you can run, uh, even some repetitions, you know, like a fartlek or something similar to that in the later miles of, you know, a shorter long run during half marathon training. But you know, the, alternating the longer long runs with the shorter but faster long runs, I think is a really good uh, training approach for the marathon. And especially for advanced runners who, uh, you know, for a lot of the time runners, they have a goal of getting their long run up to 20 miles during their, their marathon training. 
but for more advanced runners, you know, there's like like you did, George. You started your training plan at 16 miles, and I know a lot of uh, runners who are more comfortable with higher mileage, they're going to start a marathon plan at 14 to 16 miles or so. And so the goal isn't getting your long run up to 20 miles. It's getting as much as you can out of the available long runs that you have to do during the training cycle. You know, you can't just keep increasing it every week. Uh, I, I don't think it's as advantageous to just run 22, 23, 24 miles every week as your long run. And so I think that hybrid approach of doing some of them between the 20 to 22 range and some of them in say the 15 to 18 range, uh, that is a really nice balance between, uh, intensity or, um, you know, running fast and the volume easy running approach. Uh, so I, I think that that'll give you a lot of bang for your buck when you next train for a marathon. Yeah. I, I actually have, a, have, um, two different routes I tend to run on for the long runs, one of which is very hilly. It's like 1,200 feet of climb uh, over the 20 miles. Um, and I, w- I was tending to alternate that one with the, the, the um, with another route that was mostly along a river and pretty flat. So e- even though on my, on my plan it's, show- it's showing as the same uh, distances, I was often, I suppose, getting an effect a bit like what you're suggesting by alternating hilly and flat rather than fast and easy. Yeah, and that's certainly another variable that you could play with, uh, especially if you're training for uh, a hilly marathon. You know, let's say you're you're gearing up for the Boston Marathon uh, or even the New York City Marathon, which when you go over all the bridges gets quite quite hilly. Um, you know, alternating, you know, a flat run with some more goal pace running with you know, what I like to call a roller coaster type of run where you're just kind of on hilly rolling terrain throughout most of the long run. And, you know, there are a lot of people who just live in a hilly area and yes. all of their runs are these roller coaster runs where, you know, they can't get away from these runs. But it sounds like you have a really nice training environment, George, where you can, you know, get by the river do some flat running that focuses more on quality and intensity and your actual goal marathon pace. And then you can get on the hills and just work on strength, you know, run a lot of uphills, run a lot of downhills, keep the pace a little bit easier, but uh, you're focusing a little bit more on aerobic strength on those kinds of runs. Yeah. Well, actually I live, I live on a hill. So every, even though, even the flat runs always end with a 300 foot climb to get home. Um, but, um, I like that. (laughs) I think, uh, I think as long as you're not sprinting that uphill, that's, uh, you know, a great way to, you know, add a little bit more challenge to your runs without it being incredibly taxing or anything like that. Now, the other area that I wanted to go over was your, uh, your workouts. So these are the, the faster sessions that you're doing in the middle of the week. And, uh, I, I think, one of the things that you can do next time that might be more helpful for you is um, building up your tempo distance a little bit longer. So right. instead of running three or four miles at tempo pace at the peak of your training, you know maybe you run five or six miles at your tempo pace. Uh, or you could even do longer but slightly slower workouts. Um, I don't really like to have runners run more than about five or six miles at tempo pace because for a lot of runners that that starts turning into uh you know a 50 55 minute 
run where it's just too much time at tempo pace and a lot of research has shown most of the benefits of tempo running can be had in about 30 minutes so you know i kind of put a cap at about five or six miles but uh you can you can build up to that distance you can alternate with um you know runs like progression runs or fast finish runs where you know maybe you're running tempo pace at the end of a run but you know, you gradually worked up to that pace over the last five or six miles. And so there's there's a lot of different ways to structure workouts uh, in a marathon plan, but I think <clears throat> perhaps a slightly less focus on, you know, those faster repetitions that you were running on the track and uh, a little bit more of a focus on the longer tempo runs might, might help your training next time around. Uh, and then finally, there's your race. You know, there's, uh, you know, how you executed the race itself. Now we talked about, you know, finding a cool weather race. Um, now, of course, I'm from the United States, so I'm going to use Fahrenheit. Um, Celsius is mind boggling to me. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, so if you're running a marathon between 40 and 50 degrees, that's what I consider the sweet spot. That is optimal temperature for running your best marathon if it's a lot hotter than that you're simply going to have to slow down and uh, i think if it's a lot cooler than that your body is just going to waste energy trying to stay warm and it's going to make it more likely that you might uh, crash and burn later in in the mileage of of the race but um you know the thing that stands out to me george after listening to uh you talk about your marathon was um you know i think you went out a little bit fast you know, you, you had a goal of running under, uh, you had a goal of running 340. So you went out with a 340 pace group. Now 340 is 824 per mile. And, um, you know, you had mentioned at, at a certain point in the race, you were running, you know, around eight minutes or 815 per mile. And, you know, I think to a lot of runners that doesn't sound significantly faster, but, you know, you had mentioned before that your 10k pace was eight minute pace. And I think, you know, we're, we're running into the issue of maybe you were starting to run slightly anaerobic during some of that, especially especially if there were any hills involved. So if you're running eight minute pace up a hill, you know, I might I, I might guess that you were running anaerobically. And, um, you know, usually in a race, if you're running, you know, if it's if it should be mostly aerobic, let's say a half marathon, there usually is not a big problem if you dip anaerobic for you know, a minute or two. I think in the marathon, you really kind of ensure that you're going to have some problems later in the race. Uh, now, for, for a lot of runners, that's going to be fueling issues. So they might hit the wall. Um, you know, they're just going to simply run out of fuel at roughly the 20 mile mark, which is cliched, but, you know, it, it happens. And, you know, there's a reason why it's so common. And so, you know, it, it wastes fuel. But I think for you individually, George, you know, you had mentioned having some some cramping problems. Now, cramping is is usually not an electrolyte issue. A lot of the research coming out now is showing that it's not because you're deficient in sodium or potassium. Uh, it's more of a training or pacing issue. Now, on the training side, there's, you know, you potentially not being prepared for the distance. In this case, I don't think that's true at all. You had a phenomenal training cycle. You were running very high mileage, very long, long runs, and you had no injury problems. Uh, you know, I think you were very well prepared for this race. Now, you did go out kind of fast. And I think uh, even though you were probably ready to run 
around 340, 343. Um, you know, I, I think speeding up to catch the pace group. Uh, I think running in front of the pace group at around 8, 815 might have been a little bit too rich. And you might have been able to run significantly faster if you had just uh, run more evenly over the duration of the marathon. Um, I hope I didn't take the wind out of your sails. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, uh, beforehand, you know, I had been planning 8.15 to 8.30 was the was the pace uh, that I, I had been telling myself I was to run at. And um, 8.24 for uh, three hours 40, sort of in the upper end of that. Uh, but but actually, oh, yeah. I, I, well, I was sort of comfortable running at the pace I was running. I was sort of surprised that I was running it. I was looking at my watch thinking that's another, you know, seven minutes, 59 mile. You know, that was a eight minute, five mile, but I feel great. And so uh, you know, up to about the halfway mark, you know, I was looking at the watch, telling myself I felt great and thinking, am I going to run three hours, 35 here? Um, and dreaming of that uh, rather than slowing down, which is what I should have done. Yeah, there's, you know, pacing is is almost one of the most difficult things to get right when it comes to the marathon. You know, there's, uh, you can go out too fast. You can, uh, you know, you could simply have one mile in your entire marathon that is too fast. And if that is a downhill mile, uh, and if it's significantly too fast, you can almost blow your entire race. Uh, so I, I think once you start getting into the marathon distance uh, and, and also the ultra marathon distances, pace becomes much more important. And, you know, when you look at ultra marathoners who are doing really long races, they don't even really pay too much attention to their mile splits. They pay attention to like their hour splits. So how many miles am I covering per hour? And it changes based on, you know, the, the terrain of the race or, or where they happen to be. Uh, you know, if you look at some of the, the longer races, you know, there's, you know, some running is on the road. That's obviously going to be faster. And then you get on single track technical t trails in the mountains. And that running is going to be so much slower than what they were doing on the road. And uh, it, so I, I think what I'm saying is that pacing becomes more important as you get into the longer races and there's less margin for error. So I think being a little bit more uh, strategic with your pace, which which takes a lot of practice, admittedly. And I think getting faster in the shorter distances and doing the workouts necessary to do that is going to be an interesting exercise for you because it's, it's not only going to help you improve your fitness and get faster and all those great things, but it's going to teach you how to be in much more control. Um, and, and that is in pace control really is a learned skill. I think getting on the track, running really fast paces, 5k pace and faster, um, and, and doing it when you're fresh, when you're tired, uh, running 10k pace and then 5k pace and then one mile race pace all in one workout. These types of workouts really teach you the nuance of pace control and really help you develop that skill that takes a while to learn of controlling your pace and really knowing your body uh, and understanding when you might be um, when you might be pushing it a little bit too hard. When, and, and even in the marathon, you know that that could be very you know that could be the difference between eight ten and eight twenty. 
or A25. And so there's not a huge margin there, but you're going to learn a lot more about yourself as you, uh, you know, focus on a variety of races and continue improving over the long term. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd, I, I mean, I like the plan of um, go, going for the shorter stuff this coming spring. So, w- would you suggest just a sort of a um, building miles between now and you know, if if, if I don't r- race again until say January or February, when would when you know, is there a specific five k plan in your library of plans? I I haven't looked for one. Yeah, so um, and and George is talking about the team strength running training plan library. Yeah, uh, yeah, we do have uh, 5K training plans. We have several different kinds of plans. So there are some plans that uh, are for busy runners. So if you don't have a lot of time to train, the those plans help you focus on you know kind of the essentials. Then there are plans that focus on injury prevention. Um, so we do have, and, and I believe there's one or two other types of plans for the 5K, but you're right. Um, I would choose a 5K plan. I would maintain your weekly mileage in, you know, I would say as long as you're running, I think 60 miles a week, you're maintaining your fitness and working on kind of a different aspect to it, that the more intensity focused aspect of your running fitness and you would not be doing your future marathons a disservice by you know running say 60 miles a week um you know if if you peaked at 70 and you know you went from 50 to 70 over the course of a 5k training plan uh that's not going to hinder your marathon progress even though you are way into the high 80s during marathon training that is still enough mileage to uh to keep developing the aerobic metabolism and to keep developing your endurance so uh, i think from a mileage perspective that is um something that i would recommend and the other thing to think about too is if you're running less mileage, you might be able to run more frequent, faster workouts. Um, and so if you were doing one workout a week, now maybe, you know, with you with 80 to 88 miles a week, you know, now maybe if you're only running 60 or 70 miles a week, you might be able to do two quality sessions uh, per week. And because you have a virtually non-existent injury history, George, I think that uh, might be a, a fair option for you to look into as you, um, you know, start this next chapter of your training. Right. So they would be, say, Tuesday and Thursday, would they? Or Yeah. So you could kind of structure it a few different ways. If, if you're running Tuesday, Thursday workouts, uh, you know, you could do your long run on Saturday or Sunday. Um, I know that I think there are a lot of programs that do a Tuesday, Friday workout with a Sunday long run. Right. Uh, and when I was in college, we did a Monday, Wednesday workout with a Saturday race or another workout and then a Sunday long run. So that, I mean, that's, that's really aggressive. I, I don't think three quality, and essentially that's four quality days a week because, you know, you have three workouts and then a, uh, and then a long run. I think that's kind of aggressive for like 99% of people. But if you're doing two workouts a week and then your long run, uh, three quality days per week, uh, I think that's ideal for the more advanced runner. Right. And well, I, I I had limited the number of times I went out with my park run group. Well, I actually went to the park run group, but 
was the stopwatch guy rather than the, rather than running it uh, during the marathon program. But the, the, that sort of what did you say Mon- Monday Monday Wednesday and a race on Saturday that was that race on Saturday could be going with my park run group. Uh, yeah, that's that's an option. I I do think it's really aggressive. Um, you know, if if you are racing it, then you know maybe you only run one workout during the week. So you know maybe you do a a Tuesday workout, a Saturday race, and then a Sunday long run. Uh, you could also do that workout on a Wednesday. Uh, the right. other option there is is you don't necessarily have to do the park run as a 100% race effort. You yes. could run it. You know, you could run it just at a at a, at a comfortably hard effort or a tempo effort or, you know, run the first mile easy, the second mile moderate and the last mile hard. Uh, so you yes. could run it as a workout as well. And, you know, doing it that way reduces some of the intensity in your overall program and I think reduces the injury risk of your program. Uh, and it is also, uh, you know, once you get into marathon training, you don't want so much intensity that you can't run as much because I think mileage trumps intensity when it comes to the marathon. But if you're training for a 5K or a 10K, um, you know, be cautious when you start getting into the three fast days a week territory. That's when, you know, I think most runners start to start to break down. All right, George, this has been really fun. I I had a I had a fun time talking about your training and and where you've been, where you've gone, and where you might be in the future. Uh, I would not be surprised if a year from now you are running under three thirty because you have you know simply improved so much over the shorter distances uh, next spring. So uh, I hope to see that. I hope uh, we can help you get get there through uh, team strength running and. Uh, if you know, do you have any other final thoughts or questions for me before we sign off? This is a very different format than what we're used to, and I, I hope uh, it's been helpful for you and and our listeners. It's been really helpful for me, and I think I, I will go with that uh, faster races in the spring and think of a marathon in the autumn. And uh, the other advice on my, on uh, pacing and so on has also been very very useful. Um, you no, know, so thanks very much, Jason. Well, thank you for being here, George. Uh, you are our inaugural guinea pig, might I say, for for this format of show. So uh, it was it was a learning experience for me, but I think it's it's going to be interesting for people to listen to all the different strategies that go into running a great marathon. Uh, and I think it's so much more than pulling a random plan offline and just running that. You know, you really have to think about. You know, what other races are you running? How are you pacing yourself? How is this fitting into kind of a long-term approach? Uh, what is your training age? You know, how long you've been training and how that affects what you're able to do as a runner and the types of races that you're able to tackle. So, um, you know, for me, this is what I love. I love the, the training side of things. I really love, you know, the the, the workouts and how you pattern everything. Uh, so, you know, for if anything, I hope this gives our listeners kind of a behind-the-scenes look into, um, you know, how I think about training and how I think about structuring training for distance runners. If and, there was one last thing I could squeeze in, would be to come back to the cramp. I mean, you you said either training or pacing, but is there anything we could learn from the fact that when I get cramp, it always starts in the same place? You know, just is that a clue that I should be somehow 
you know, it's always my left calf. Is that a clue that I've somehow got an imbalance between the legs that I could I could work on in some of the strength exercises or? Yeah, I think it is a clue. I think if anybody has a consistent uh, injury or or even just a kind of an annoying problem in one area, it always starts in that area and it consistently happens every time you are either racing or during peak training. That is a good clue that there's something going on. And, uh, you know, in your specific case, George, what I might do is uh, first reevaluate your form. You know, make sure that you're, you know, you're, you're kind of adhering to the best pr- best practices of running form. You have good posture. You're running tall. Your cadence is at least over 170 during an easy run, but preferably closer to 180. Uh, if you are overstriding, that is a, a, a big red flag. So try to land uh, almost right under your center of mass uh, or right under your hips. And as long as you increase your cadence, you have good posture, and you're landing underneath your center of mass, then um, you know that, that almost takes care of most other form issues. Uh, so there's the form aspect of things. Uh, then, of course, there's the pacing thing, and we talked about that. We talked about... Uh, you know, cramps are much more common in long races, and they're much more common for runners who go out really fast. So there's a really great uh, reason for everyone to go out at an appropriate pace rather than like a bat out of hell. You're only going to pay for it later on in the race. Um, now, of course, there could be some sort of muscular imbalance or or weakness either on your, your on your left side where your um, it sounds like your lower hamstring or upper calf is always having these issues the other thing that might be causing you problems is the fact that you know a lot of the times you know if you're having a problem on one side of your body the opposite side is is really the cause so let's say it's your left achilles your right hip which is not only the opposite leg, but the opposite location, is a cause for the problem. Um, George, I don't know if that's the issue. Um, If you can see a physical therapist who either specializes in runners or is a a longtime runner themselves, then I think that is a really good option for you, just to have them look at you, have them look at the way you move, um, have them look at any kind of you know, mobility problems that you might have. If if you have the time, the inclination, the resources, maybe you want to get a running form analysis done just to have them rule out like any big red flags uh, in in the way that you run. Uh, and, and I think if you can take that kind of multi-pronged approach to fixing this issue, then I think you'll be successful ultimately. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, and with that, I think we are going to sign off. George, thanks again for, for okay. being here today and sharing your story, sharing so many details about your training and your race. Uh, you know, I, I want to thank you for doing that, and uh, thank you for uh, being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Okay, that's a wrap. Before you go, two quick notes. First, did you enjoy this format of podcast episode? I'd love to hear from you. Please either leave a comment on the blog post around this episode. You can go to strengthrunning.com slash podcast to get a direct link or leave any feedback on iTunes in a review. They mean a lot. I read every single one and they really help the show reach more runners. And finally, 
George was a member of Team Strength Running. And while we're not open right now, if you'd like to learn more about the team and get a notification of when we're open, just go to strengthrunning.com forward slash TSR. That's it for me. As always, thank you for listening.